0: All right, Isaiah chapter 55, if you've got your Bibles, please. Isaiah 55. While you're turning there, I'm going to pray for us. Dear Lord, we thank you this morning that your word invites us to draw near, that you are here with us by your Holy Spirit, and we pray now that you'd speak to each one of us, that we'd hear your voice speaking, we'd respond to your invitation, and we would find uh, all that we need in you. Pray these things for your glory and the sake of Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Isaiah 55, beginning in verse 1. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come and buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? And your labor for that which does not satisfy. Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me here that your soul may live. And I will make it with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Behold, I made him a witness to the peoples and a leader and a commander for the peoples. And behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know. And a nation that did not know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God and of the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion upon him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout and giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that for which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent. For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace and the mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing. And all of the trees of the field shall clap their hands. And instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress and instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle. And it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign. That shall not be cut off. In March 2019, so just a few months ago, the UN re- released their what is called their annual water report. <clears throat> and it's a report, you can read it online, that highlights uh, the use of water and various water issues that our world faces. And so here's some statistics from the water report of this year. It says that, Sixty percent of the world 's population, so nearly four billion people, suffer what 's described as water scarcity during at least one month of the year, so sixty percent of the world can 't get access to safe, clean water for at least one month of the year. Thirty percent of the world 's population, so that 's nearly two billion people, have no access to safe or clean water within fifteen minutes of where they live so if if i put it like this in other words if you felt thirsty it would take you half an hour to go there and back to get a drink all right so that's what they say 30% 2 billion people struggling with clean safe water within 15 minutes of where they live and it's estimated that in sub-saharan africa if you put together all of the men and the women and the children who spend their days Going back and forth to collect water, it would add up to 26 million hours per day spent just in Africa, sub-Saharan Africa, collecting water. Now, we live in a world where water and food, fortunately, by the grace of God, are, are easily accessible to us. We can go and we can turn on the tap in our kitchen, in our bathroom, in our ensuite, and in our downstairs cloakroom, and maybe outside as well. And then when you go to the supermarket, you can go down aisles that have water of your choice, depending on the brand that you like. So water and food to us are just the basic bare necessities of life, which, and we know without them we would die, but we have them, so we're okay. But here in Isaiah 55, God issues an invitation to come and find water and food that would have resonated with the original hearers who were living in the deserts, living in the Arab world. It would have resonated in their ears and in their hearts because water was scarce for them. It was also uh, scarce in Jesus' day. Some seven or 800 years later, it would have, this invitation would have resonated with, with Jesus' uh, people as well in the same Middle Eastern Arab Region which, according to the UN, is the most water stressed region in the world. And you could read Isaiah 55 and see that God does care about the physical needs and the physical well being of people. In fact, when Jesus walked this planet, didn't he? He met the physical needs of the people that he interacted with. If they were poor or needy or thirsty or hungry, he met their. Needs in Acts two, the early church met the needs that uh, the Christians and the community faced. When they were lacking something, they sold what they had and gave the money so that someone could be fed, or ha- housed, or clothed. When Paul went up to Jerusalem at the beginning of his ministry, and he took Je- uh, Barnabas with him and they went to meet the apostles Galatians 2 tells us that when he spoke to the apostles about his gentile plan his mission to go to the gentiles they said please remember the poor and he said well that's the very thing i'm eager to do so god is concerned about the poor and the water and the food that they have and so one of the obligations that we have as christians is to care for the poor so let me ask you a question right off the bat that you could chew on over lunch as you drink the water from your tap and eat the food at your table. Is, is there some part of our budget that is set apart on a weekly or monthly basis to care for the poor, whether that's providing food for the food bank or sponsoring a child through covenant mercies or whether that's through supporting charities like Water Aid, so that these 4 billion people can get safe drinking water? It's an obligation I think we have as Christians to care for the poor just as God cares for the poor. But this passage this morning is more than just meeting someone's physical and uh, bodily needs with food and water. This passage this morning speaks in metaphors and images about what is needed for our souls to live. And if, you are, if you've read your Bible before, perhaps you are familiar with Isaiah 55 because it's one of the most famous chapters in all of, the, of Scripture because every section is, is kind of famous. It's well known. And so in order to kind of get at its understanding, I want to ask eight questions this morning. All right, eight-point sermon today. No three-point, no two-point, no one-point, eight points. Okay, so here we go. Eight questions that are going to help us understand this glorious chapter And each of its well-known sections. And the first question is this. Who is invited? Who's it for? Four times in the first verse, we see the word come. Come, 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 come. God is speaking here and he is inviting his people, that's us this morning, to draw near to the feast that he has prepared. He has spread a grand banqueting table before us, and what is needed now are guests. And so he issues the invitation to all and sundry, to everyone. If you see that, the second word of the chapter, come everyone. It's an open invitation extended to the entire world. If you are one, you are part of the everyone. Uh, and it follows from what Isaiah has previously said, that God is sending a light to the nations. And he wants the message that, uh, that he has of salvation to spread to the ends of the earth. And now here he is. He's inviting everyone to come. But he's got two kind of specific categories in mind. First one is in verse 1. Come everyone who thirsts. Come to the waters. He who has no money, come and buy everything and eat so this first category that's particularly invited is people who are thirsty people who are hungry people who are broke people who are poor people who are bankrupt people who are beggars now we're not talking about physical bankruptcy and, and beggaring although that's is that a word uh, although that's certainly uh, could be these kind of people, but we're talking about people who recognize that when it comes to approaching God, they've got no resources. They've got no bargaining power. They've got no credit or borrowing power. They might be people who are burnt out by life situations. They might be people who are dehydrated Because of their situation, that they're at the end of their tether, they're desperate, they're weak, they're weary, they're helpless and they're hopeless because they're they're thirsty and they can't do anything about it because they've got no money to buy resources or water to quench their thirst. Those are the people that are invited. But there's a second category in verse 2. And it's not clear, but it's implied. Because the invitation goes to those who seem to be spending money for bread that doesn't satisfy. Working for that which does not satisfy. So there's a second group here, which we might describe as self-righteous strivers. People who have money and have resources and have strength and they're laboring and they're dreaming and they're chasing and they're spending money on jobs and cars and houses and holidays and families and books and bikes and gadgets and barbecues and season tickets and hobbies and sports and clothes and shoes and success. But everything that they're throwing their money at is just coming back empty. And they're frustrated and perhaps dissatisfied because what, dis, what, the, what Isaiah seems to be saying is it, it's not what it appears to be. You're laboring for that which doesn't satisfy. You're giving your money to stuff that will not fill you up. There's no pot at the end of your rainbow. There's no fountain of youth at the end of your search. There's just fading applause for your successes. And the things that you have become the things that you don't want anymore because you want something else. Things break, they age, fashions pass, our options get fewer. And actually, when you compare these two groups, they might look different on the outside. One who has nothing and one who has everything are both invited to come. They look different, but really deep down... If we're honest with ourselves, we fit into one of these categories, and the issues that we have are all the same internally. Because we're looking for something to fill the gap, to satisfy the hunger, to quench the thirst. A giant of 17th century philosophy, Blaise Pascal, once said this about a craving that we have inside of every human heart. He says this, what else does this craving and this helplessness proclaim but that there was once in man a true happiness of which all that now remains is the empty print and trace. And this he tries in vain to fill with everything around him, seeking in things that are not there, the help he cannot find in those that are. Though none can help, since this infinite abyss Can only be filled with an infinite and immutable object. In other words, by God Himself. Now, if 17th century philosophers aren't your bag, here's a 20th century giant of philosophy, Bruce Springsteen. He said or sang, Everybody's got a hungry heart. Remember that? No? Paul does. He's the only one. All right, you youngsters, you can get on YouTube later on and look at it. Uh, Bruce Springsteen used to sing a song, and it went, everybody's got a hungry heart. Jonathan, you remember that? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, okay. Well, anyway, everybody has got a hungry heart, and Isaiah here is pleading with us. God is pleading with us. Don't waste your time in your life out on the streets begging for scraps. Don't waste your time in your life on things that will never satisfy. Come to me. Come in from the cold, take a seat at the banqueting table that I have laid. I think the words of Isaiah 55 were the things that undergirded Jesus when he said to the woman at the well in John 4, If you knew who was speaking to you, you would ask me for a drink and I would give you living waters. Or think about in John 7 where Jesus stands up in the temple and he says, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink the living waters that I offer him. And maybe it was the, the background to Jesus' parable in Matthew where he, he says, God has prepared a wedding banquet and he sent out the invitations and the invited guests, they don't want to come. So now go out onto the highways and the byways and invite everyone to come. So we're invited this morning. Now, what exactly are we invited to? This is question number two. What are we invited to? Well, although we may have no money, it's not a soup kitchen. It's not a charitable soup kitchen. In fact, it is a lavish banquet hosted by God Himself, where the most incredible food and beverages are supplied by the finest ever Michelin starred chef. That's what we have here when He talks about water and wine. And milk, these three beverages, are, are, are piled up to speak of the luxuriousness of God's provision. He doesn't just give water to quench your thirst and leave you. He provides milk. Think about what milk is. Milk is... Uh, is for nourishment. So water is for refreshment. So God says, come and have water that can refresh you. Think of the image of a hot day in the sun and you get a cold water from the fridge and you drink it down and you go, "Ah." there's water, but there's milk, which is for refreshment. We give it to our kids and to babies so that their bones grow healthy and their teeth grow strong. So it's, it's milk that is there that God offers for healthy growth. And there's wine, which I know some of you, your eyes light up. Wine. Wine is for rejoicing and celebration and for partying. God promises them all. Water for refreshment, milk for nourishment, wine to make your soul sore. And if you see in the, not to make your head sore, make your your soul sore, S-O-A-R. All right, let me just clarify that. Verse 2, though, the invitation is to good stuff as well. Did you notice? Listen to me. Eat what is good. Delight yourself in rich food. So it's good and it's rich. Those two words mean it's top quality. It's the best that you can get. And it's rich food. It's not just rich in its kind of flavors and its kind of texture or whatever. It's plentiful. It's bountiful. It's lavish. It's, it's that which will truly satisfy. And so God here is inviting us to a banquet where he promises us luxurious provision. Everyone can come and get everything they need. He has a well-stocked pantry. He has an overflowing storehouse of grace. And we're invited to partake. And he says... Don't keep working and spending for nothing, when for absolutely nothing, you can have everything. That's the logic of these two verses. Why are you spending your money on stuff that is nothing? Come and get everything, and it will cost you nothing. Good invitation. But it's not food for the mouth and the stomach. It's food for the soul. Notice in verse 3. He says, incline your ear and come to me that your soul may live. So it's life-giving, eternal food and drink. And then he goes on to say, as you come to me and as you hear this invitation, here's something else I'm going to do for you. I'm going to bring you into my covenant. I'm going to bring you into the covenant, I'm going to make a covenant with you, he says in verse 3. An everlasting covenant that he describes as his sure, steadfast love for David. So what does he mean here? What are we invited into here? Well, he invites us here to, to the same covenant that he made with David in 2 Samuel 7, where he said to David, don't build me a house. I'm going to build you a house. And it's going to be a kingdom where the everlasting forever king will reign forever. And here, God invites us into that same covenant. He says, when you come to me, when you taste of the, the food and the drink that's on offer to me, when you receive all that I have, I'm going to bind myself to you in an unbreakable love where you'll become part of my covenant people. You'll become a subject of the forever king. You'll become a citizen of the eternal kingdom that he's establishing and you'll experience my love forever and ever. See, the invitation is not just come and get good stuff from God. It's come and be joined to God forever. It's a promise of permanent provision and security. It's a promise of, that our salvation will be guaranteed by the forever king on David's throne. Now. We've already alluded to this, but everything's got a price tag, as the prophet Jesse Jay once said. Everything's got a price tag, so what's, what's the price tag here? But Isaiah tells us it doesn't cost us anything. But then the very next verse, he says, come without money and without price and buy. So do we buy it or do we take it for free? Well, here is how we should understand it. We take it for free because someone else has paid for it. That's the, the logic as you read Isaiah closely. Not just in chapter 55, but from 53 onwards. It's a little bit like I went. Claire and I went to my stepbrother's wedding a few years ago. <clears throat> and we went to this, this posh hotel in, in West Wales. Um, and we turned up and it was announced as we walked in the door... Uh, from the ceremony, that it was a free bar all day. And it was 12 o'clock when we got there. And it was expected that it would end around 1. And it was a free bar. And you think, wow, this is great. This is fantastic. All the money that I took out from the cash machine that was going to go towards paying for one drink because it's an expensive hotel, I don't have to spend now. But the hotel didn't give it to us out of the the, uh, kindness of their heart. Someone else was paying the bill. My stepbrother and his wife were picking up the tab. And that's what is going on here. Come. Come to the luxury banquet that God has set. Come. Take water, milk, wine. It's all free because someone else has footed the bill. So this morning, as you sit there, maybe you're distant from God this morning. Maybe you've been away from him for a while. Maybe your heart has grown cold and you've distanced yourself and you feel a little bit like an outsider this morning. You look all right on the outside, but inside you feel like an outsider. God says, come. Perhaps we sit, there this, sit here this morning and we're interested in the offer, but we're reluctant because we think, all right, there really is no such thing as a free lunch. But here God says, come. Maybe you've read Isaiah 55 loads of times before, and it's all in your head but not in your heart. It's a little bit like that scene from uh, one of the kid films that we like in our house, Despicable Me 2, where there's three little girls that get adopted by... Uh, grew this chap this evil kind of character and he adopts them into his family and then it's mother's day coming and so one of the little girls learns a poem about mothers and she says you know mothers are lovely they braid my hair she kisses me she puts band-aids on my boo-boos and she speaks in this kind of dry robotic kind of voice because she's got no experience of a mother but she knows the truth. She knows that that's what mums do. They put, kiss their boo-boos and they put plasters on their cuts and they brush their hair and they love them, but she's got no experience. Perhaps that's you this morning. You, you sit and you read and you go, yeah, come, come, everyone who is thirsty, come to the waters. And you think, yeah, all right, God, get that. But it hasn't translated into experience and feeling. God says, come afresh this morning. Whether you're a beggar, whether you're a self-righteous striver, whether you're just hungry, whether you're thirsty, God says, don't wander the aisles of the supermarket looking for stuff that will satisfy. Come to the banquet that I have laid on. For there you'll find water for dry souls, there you'll find milk for weak souls, there you'll find wine for disheartened souls, there you'll find God. At the end of the invitation, you find the one who issues the invitation. Who's speaking here? God is. Now, hopefully now, having got your appetite, third question, how do we accept the invitation? How do we RSVP? Well, in verse 1 it's it's an emphatic and urgent call. Come, 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 come. So how do we come? Well, in verse 6 he tells us how. He says, "Seek the Lord while he may be found, call upon him while he is near." So the first part of coming to God and receiving the invitation is to seek him and to call Upon him. Now, it's not a game of hide and seek where God is, is, has been lost and we've got to find him. Uh, no, he is able to be found. It requires coming to him and seeking him, which means a, exercising a diligence and a determination and a commitment to go to him because we recognize I'm in need and he's got everything that I need. So we run, we seek him out, we search him, search for him. It's, a, it's kind of like if, if we were reading it in the street Bible, it would be saying, don't just sit there on your backside, get up, stop analyzing, stop theorizing, stop hesitating and run to Jesus. That's what they would be saying. Calling out to him is is calling out to him. In prayer, you don't need a theology degree to get the right words. You just pick up the phone as if you were calling your friend or your neighbor or 999 for help. And you go, help, I need you. That's what we're to do here. That's how we respond. The first part of responding to the invitation is to seek God out and to call on him. But then there's a second part. He goes on in verse 7. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return to the Lord. So not only are we called to seek and to call on him, but we're called to forsake and turn to him. In other words, in order to move towards God, we've got to be willing to forsake where we are right now. In the same way that if I need to go to the toilet, I've got to forsake preaching right now. And go out the back. I can't stay here and go to the toilet. That would be very, very awkward, wouldn't it? And that's what God calls us to do here. He says, you've got to forsake where you're at now to come to me. You've got to turn away from those things that you're looking to, that satisfy, that are empty and come to me. And when he speaks about wicked and unrighteous people, he's not thinking about the most vile, horrible, sinful, evil people on the planet. He's talking to us. People who've gone astray. People who have fallen. Sinners who do not have the thoughts and ways of God. That's why he goes on in verse 7 to say, My thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. As far as the heavens are above the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. He says, you've fallen. You're not like me. Therefore, you've got to forsake those things to come to me. John Piper uses this illustration. He says, listen, if you're seeking God, it's a little bit like this. He says, if you would be, it would be like a man who leaves his wife, moves into his own apartment, has a regular sexual life alongside his marriage with countless women, And then gets on the phone one day and calls his wife and says to her, can I come home? And she says, have you forsaken all the other women? And he says, no. And she would rightly say to him then, then you are not seeking me. This phone call is empty. This is a waste of time. But when you have forsaken those other women, then give me a call. That's what God is calling us to hear. If we want to come to him, we can't find him while we stay in sin. He requires us to turn from our sins and come to him. Not just for the first time, but every single day. Come to him. What Isaiah is outlining here in verses 6 and 7 and 8 is what we would call repentance. The way that we come and accept the invitation is that we repent and we flee from our good works and our bad works to, to God himself. It's not a tweaking of our British mindset. It's nothing less than a complete and radical overhaul of our lives. We've got to stop treating God as the garnish on the side of the plate and instead see him as the steak. That's what Isaiah is saying here. And we come because God knows best. Because God is best. Verses 8 and 9, they, they have wider application to God being able to understand all of life and every aspect of life. But here in the, in the context of Isaiah 55, when it says, My thoughts are not your thoughts and my ways are not your ways. And they're higher than the earth. So, you know, they're higher, as high as the heavens are above the earth. That is that God has specific thoughts about how we get saved. How we come to him. That we have to come forsaking trying to earn or to pay back or to appease or to right our own wrongs. Instead, we've got to turn from excusing our sin or ignoring our sin and actually come to him. And we find in coming to him his way, according to his ways and his thoughts that are higher than ours, that what we get at the end of verse 7 is this. Compassion. Literally, the, the word is mercy and abundant Pardon. So when we come to him, according to his ways, which is through repentance and faith in him, we receive mercy and an abundant pardon. Not just a partial pardon, not just the kind of, okay, I 75% forgive you. Full freedom from all the penalties of all our offenses. Jesus said in Mark 2, verse 17, It's not the healthy or those who who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but to call sinners. And that's the invitation of Isaiah 55. All of us need to come whether for the first time or the thousandth time. If we think we're too bad to come because of the sins that we've got in our cupboards that we're hiding away, that's a lie out of the devil's playbook, right out of hell. If you think you're too bad to come to God, that is a lie that you are believing. No one is beyond the reach of God's grace. And if you think you're too good, that you don't need God's help, then that's a lie right out of hell as well. Because no one is beyond the need of God's grace. And as we come, what we find is God delights to pardon sinners. It's an abundant pardon. In Micah chapter 7, verse 18, God speaks uh, this. Who is a God like you? Or, or Micah speaks to God. Who is a God like you that pardons iniquities and passes over transgressions for the, rem- the remnant of his inheritance, so for his people? And then he says this. You are God, he who does not retain Anger forever because he delights. He delights in steadfast love. God delights in steadfast love that pardons sinners like you and me. He doesn't do it begrudgingly. He doesn't do it half-heartedly. He doesn't do it partially. He does it fully and with a big smile on his face. So why would we hide our sin? Why would we hide it away? Try and bury it. Try and excuse it. Try and ignore it. Why not bring it out into the open where it can be forgiven? By a God who delights to forgive us. And he pardons the least or worst sin we've ever done. He pardons the first and last sin we'll ever do. And all of those that are in between. As Ray Ortland wrote in one of his books, I forget which one it is. He says this, for every again of sin there is an again of grace. So we respond to the invitation through repentance and faith. Question number four, when is the invitation for? When is, the, when is this invitation for? Well, verse six tells us very clearly. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. The implication is that this is time limited. It's a time limited offer. It's a, it doesn't last forever forever. God will not always stand extending his welcoming arms, beckoning us to come. At some point or other, we will die or Jesus will return and the books will be closed. Remember the parable Jesus tells in Luke 16 of the rich man and Lazarus and they both die and the rich man goes down into the fires of hell and Lazarus goes to Moses' side and uh, there's this great chasm that is set between them and the rich man, what does he do while he's in hell? He begs, give me a drink, I'm thirsty, let him take his finger and dip it and just put it on my tongue. And we hear through the parable that there are no second chances and no relief. That a great chasm has been fixed which cannot be crossed. And Isaiah is urgent here for us and for us to go and tell others. So again, Christmas is coming and three services during December that you can invite your friends to. Isaiah would say, go and be the messenger that says, come, 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 come. Invite our friends to come. Invite our neighbors to come. Invite our family to come. Tell them to come to a banquet that God has laid before them where they can find water that will refresh their souls and milk that will nourish them and wine that will cause them to party. They can get everything they've ever longed for. Don't eat bread that does not satisfy. Come and find the bread of heaven who does truly satisfy. That's what we're called to invite people to. So let me encourage you. Pick up the flyers. Pick up the leaflets. Let's write the cards next week. Let's deliver. Let's ask. Let's pray. Let's seek people that we can invite just as God has invited us. Then question number five. How do we know that this is a legit invitation? You know, we probably all... At some point, maybe you've received an email from a Nigerian prince who is offering you help, uh, who who is asking for your help and offering you money in return for your help. And he says, I've got millions of pounds in a bank account and I just need to get it out of Nigeria. And if you can take it and send me your bank details, then I can give you millions of pounds. And we go, yeah, I'm not going to do that. Because that offer sounds too good to be true. Well, perhaps this invitation sounds too good to be true. God's promising the richest, most soul-satisfying food and drink and abundant mercy and pardon that's on offer in the entire universe, and it's all free? That doesn't sound like a legit offer. That sounds like a Nigerian prince or an oil baron or some widow. But here in verse 10, Isaiah returns to the image of water and he says, Just as the rains fall from heaven on the earth and barren lands and deserts spring up with plants and crops that provide food and life to people, so my word goes out. The same word that speaks the universe into being. The same word that that sums up all that Isaiah has spoken thus far. God says, my word has gone out. And it does not return void. It's the instrument I have chosen to accomplish everything that I determine. And because I have spoken, I will do. See, verses 10 and 11 here, again, they have wider application to God speaking and Scripture revealing all of His goals and His wills and His ways and His thoughts and His promises. But here in the narrow context of Isaiah 55, what God says is my word has gone out. My invitation has gone out and it will not come back void. People will respond. This is a legitimate offer. It's guaranteed by my word. It's guaranteed by my very being, if you like. My word is my bond. My word is who I am. When you give someone your word, you promise that you will do for them what you have said you will do. And this word that is spoken comes from the God of Isaiah 40. Remember those chapters? Those messages? The God who is glorious and great and wise and good. And he speaks now and he says, Come and I'll give you everything you need. My word is true, it's a legitimate offer. And he promises us a covenant. He promises us abundant pardon. And if you notice in verses 12 and 13, he promises us a bright future. That's question number six. What is this bright future that we're invited to? It's a future where our souls will live, where we will experience abundant pardon for all of our sins. And then he adds to that, you shall go out in joy. You shall be led forth in peace. And then you shall live in a home. This is verse 13, where the, the effects of sin... And the curse and all of the consequences of sin will be done away with. The thorns will be gone and cypress trees shall grow up. Briars shall be gone and up shall come myrtle trees. It's a promise of joy and peace and paradise for everybody who responds? It's a promise of living in a world with all of the beauty and the wonder and the magnificence that God intended, where there will be no sin and no curse and no consequences. And it's a bright future for all who will accept the invitation. So there's stuff that we'll, we can have now, abundant pardon now, and there's promise of great things to come in the future. And then you'll notice in verse, right at the end of verse 13, the answer to my seventh question. Why is all this happening? Why is all this being done? Why is God issuing this invitation? And he simply says at the end of verse 13, to make a name for the Lord. To make a name for the Lord. Back in Isaiah 42, God said, I don't share my glory with anybody else. And here he says, in everything I'm doing, it's for my glory. It's for the name for my name. It's for my reputation. It's so that my character might be known. My nature might be known. My name might be known. My reputation might be known. And everybody worship me. That's why I'm doing this. For the name of the Lord. He invites us so that we might come to him and experience his grace for his glory. And then finally, verse uh, well, question number eight is this. How is this all possible? How is it all possible? How can this invitation be issued? How can we respond? How is the future bright? How is God going to be glorified? How can we even respond in repentance and faith? How is this all possible? Well, let me put it to you this way because it's not immediately clear in the, in the chapter But Isaiah 55 is the bookend of one section of Isaiah that began in chapter 40. Okay? So we study chapter 40. That's the beginning of the section. And then chapter 55 is the end of the section. And in chapter 40, we saw the great God who, in chapter 55, issues us this great invitation. And in between these two bookends of a great God and a great invitation is how this is all possible. And in chapter 42, chapter 49, chapter 50, and especially in chapter 53, we're told how it's all possible. Because of a great servant who does all the work for a great salvation. And particularly in chapter 53, we're confronted with a servant who takes the debt of our sin and pays the price. For our salvation through his own shed blood. And the beverages on offer at God's free bar, water, wine, milk, they've been paid for by this servant. Who bled and died, who laid down his life for sinners so that we could come to him. And that servant, as we know, is Jesus. Jesus who says, come to me, all who are thirsty, and I will give you living water. Jesus who says, if you knew who offered you, who was inviting you, you would ask me for a drink. He spoke to the Samaritan woman who had almost nothing. He speaks to everybody in the temple, the religious leaders, the well-to-dos, the people who were there for the sacrifices and the festivals. Everyone was invited by this Jesus who stretched out his arms on a cross to purchase a great salvation and offer us a table at his, a seat at his banqueting table. And he still invites us to come. He still invites us to draw near. He still comes to us and invites us. He can still be sought. He can still be found. And if you need him today for whatever, whether that's to come to Christ for the first time or for the, because you're dehydrated in your life or because you're not growing and you need nourishment or because you are disheartened and you need some wine to point you to the celebration and joy of Christ, he invites us to come. Come to me, he says, all who thirst. Come and buy, eat and eat. Come and buy wine and milk. Somebody else has paid. Jesus. Let's pray together.